chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. Uh, we're going to read this in the ESV. There are ESV Bibles under your seats, uh, and feel free to look that up. Uh, if you have your own uh, Bible or Bible app, especially for those are, who are at home, feel free to look that up as well. We'll also be projecting it uh, back here, so if you're able to read it, you can also d- just do that. And once you're ready to read the scripture, uh, we ask that you please stand as able for the reading of God's word. I'll, I'll read uh, the scripture for us, and we'll all respond at the end with thanks be to God. So again, uh, the scripture is John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by by believing you may have life in his name. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we have been going through uh, this whole school year, uh, this concept of how do we find life in Christ, life in the kingdom? And we want to make it very practical, right? Not just theoretical stuff that we just keep up here, but really, how do we live this life in the light of the reality of God? And so one of the things that I think we have to address is the fact that so much of life is uncertain. And that is really, really hard to deal with. I think that's probably one of the hardest things about the whole pandemic. You know, there were moments where we're like, is this ever going to end? When is this going to end? You know, and, and all of us wanted to know and just being cooped up and not being able to do anything and just kind of being in that place of limbo, of feeling like our lives were on hold, right? That was so hard. And for so many of us, we just wanted to just kind of, you know, fast forward to the end of all of that. And in many ways, we still feel that. And friends, um, you know, whether it be, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow or what's going to happen in your career, what's going to happen to your family, What's going to happen with anything? Friends, uncertainty is so hard to deal with. And I got to say that uh, it's just a a feature of human life that we can't stand uncertainty. We just need to know what's going to happen. So much so that I feel like people who make TV shows, they know this. And and I I know that for so many of us, um, that's what makes, you know, uh, shows like uh, addictive and you know, this idea of like binging a show. Have you ever gotten to the end of a show and there's like a cliffhanger, right? It ends with something unresolved and you're just like, oh man, it's like one o'clock in the morning, but I just got to know. I just got to know what happens next. And, you know, sometimes they even end shows like with a cliffhanger at the end of the season because now like Netflix and all these people, you know, they're like, well, you could be watching this years from now, and there'll be like five seasons out. So we just want you to binge all five seasons. 
You know, but it's so annoying when a show ends and like, like the season ends, but they don't renew the show and it ended on a cliffhanger. There's actually this show years ago. It's a sci-fi show called Alphas. And uh, it wasn't a very good show. <laughs> but actually, uh, the, the season two ended on this huge cliffhanger. And I remember watching it. It ended with like, I don't know, some like big virus was released. It made this hit, hitting too close to home. But everyone just ends up on the ground and it looks like, are they dead? Like, what happened? Is the whole world just wiped out from this virus? It's like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And uh, yeah, they ended on this huge cliffhanger and they canceled the show. And there's actually a Big Bang Theory episode about that show, right? Where Sheldon is so disturbed by the fact that, that you know, he's never going to find out what happens that he calls the network and he just gets like a receptionist. And they're like, you know, how can we direct your call? He's like, I need to know how the show's show alphas ends. And he even says like, I don't really like the show, but I just need to know. Friends... If you're like that, if you're like me, if you're like Sheldon, then you know how difficult uncertainty is. But friends, that is the nature of life. How do we navigate that? And when it comes to faith, you know, this idea that we've been told that, that you need to know, you need to know that God is real. I mean, what do we do with that? Especially when God is, for all intents and purposes, invisible, right? That's so hard for many of us to deal with. Well, friends, uh, we we already read the scripture, but I got to say, we got a story for you. If you're in that situation, man, you can relate to Thomas. Poor Thomas. Man, this guy gets such a bad rap. Uh, Thomas is called oftentimes Doubting Thomas. It's not very fair because Thomas actually was a very faithful disciple. And uh, by tradition, Thomas actually went on to be a missionary to India and started a church there that still exists to this day. And so, you know, I I just want to kind of take it easy on Thomas a little bit. But there is something in there where he does kind of get rebuked, let's be honest, right? And there is something in there that we can learn from Thomas uh, and his response and what Jesus wants to teach him. Uh, about uncertainty and faith. So let's, let's take a look. So uh, if you remember, on um, the, the day that Jesus uh, was raised from the dead, he appears for the disciple, before the disciples, but um, Thomas was not there. And by the way, Jesus actually shows his hands and his side to the disciples. So the problem isn't necessarily that Thomas you know, uh, I mean, he wants to see the hands inside because the the other disciples got to see it, right? And so, you know, he's told about what happened, right? And the other disciples tell him, we have seen the Lord. But he says to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So friends, uh, uh, I think in many ways, we look at Thomas, and I, I think the, the misunderstanding that we have about Thomas is that his problem is doubt, right? I mean, it's in the name, right? Doubting Thomas. I have to say, uh, by the end of the story, you're going to see that Thomas's faith is transformed a little bit, isn't it? Right? So maybe we shouldn't call him Doubting Thomas. We should call him Doubted Thomas, right? <laughs> Which, by the way, I think would be all of us. I mean, you could call me Doubted Steve. I mean, I've definitely had my doubts, right? And so, friends, I just want to say, doubt is not the problem, right? Because doubt is just the the acknowledgement that there's uncertainty, right? 
And all of us are in a process of trying to have certain things in life that we're more certain of, things that we can cling to, right? Whether that be your belief in God or maybe your belief in another person, right? Or maybe your belief in, you know, the goodness of this world. I don't know what process you're under, but I think all of us are in a place where we just don't know everything, right? I hope you're in a place where you don't know everything. But this is the problem with Thomas. Did you notice what he says? He doesn't say like, okay, Guys, this is really hard to believe, right? Like, I know you're saying you saw Jesus, but come on. Like, seriously, a man came back from the dead? This is just too much for me. I'm going to need some time. Notice what he says. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, I need to touch it, right? I need something concrete. And place my hand into his side, I will never believe. The Greek for, uh, that, that says, I will never believe, is I will absolutely not believe. Right? So what Thomas is saying is that the only way he can come to faith is if he has this really, really concrete proof. Absolutely concrete proof. 100%. I just noticed that I'm putting my hands in my palm. And some of you guys may know I had a carpal tunnel surgery. <laughs> and so there's literally a mark in my hands right here. But anyways, just, just thought I'd mention it. But he wants to have proof. I mean, what if, what if I told you, hey, I broke my wrist, you know, in February, um, and I had carpal tunnel surgery. And you're like, Pastor Steve, prove it. <laughs> the only way I'm going to believe is if I get to touch it. Right? I mean, you could have faked it, right? This could just be makeup. I need to touch it for myself, right? What does Thomas want? What does he want? He wants certainty, doesn't he? He wants absolute 100% proof. And this is the problem, right? I will never believe. He becomes fixed in this, right? I mean, that's what he's saying right now. He's not saying like, okay, guys, it's going to take me some time. Life is a process. I will absolutely not believe unless I have 100% proof. I, in some ways, uh, can relate to Thomas. Can't you? I mean, don't we want that? Like, like, don't you think it would be nice if it, like, like, maybe you felt this way. You're like, okay, well, Pastor Steve, why does it have to be so hard to believe? Why couldn't God just come down and reveal himself in this really spectacular way where none of us would ever doubt ever again, right? And literally let each and every one of us touch his scars and touch his side. And then there will be none of this uncertainty in life. We want that, friends, right? But it's very interesting what Jesus says to Thomas. I want to show you his response. Before we get to why maybe Thomas doesn't get that, let's see what happens when Thomas finally meets Jesus. So eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. You guys know every week, that's how we greet one another. Peace be with you. It's so powerful, right? And one of the things that uh, is in the story uh, that happened right before this When the disciples see Jesus, he says, peace be with you, before he says anything, right? And then he reveals, he says, hey, it's me, right? And he shows them his scars. And he says, peace be with you again. And this this repetition of peace be with you, 
You know, this is now the third time that he said it to his disciples. Right? It's so important. Because maybe in many ways, they didn't know where they stood with, with Jesus, right? Because a lot of them doubted. A lot of them fled, right? A, a lot of them, in many ways, kind of like betrayed Jesus, right? And the fact that he says, peace be with you, it is this assurance. We're okay, right? And he's saying that to Thomas. Thomas, in his stubborn disbelief, in his need for concrete proof, and his folding of his arms and saying, I will never believe. Unless you can give me 100% irrefutable proof, I will never believe. And Jesus is like, Thomas, we're cool. Peace be with you. <laughs> Even though you don't fully believe, peace be with you. And that's such an assurance, right? If you've ever you know, had any uh, uh, concerns about coming to church, and you're like, ah, oh, but I have doubts. I'm uncertain right? Friends, peace be with you. You're in the right place. It's totally fine, right? And so Jesus speaks this over Thomas, and he speaks it over all of us. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And friends, we're actually not sure. There's some debate about whether or not Thomas actually does it. Uh, in some of the, the like medieval paintings and stuff, uh, uh, there is this, this moment where you know, they actually depict uh, Thomas thrusting his hand into the side of Jesus. It's just more dramatic that way, right? But we don't know if just simply Jesus showing up and Jesus, he shows himself and he's like, my Lord and my God. But Jesus says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is, friends, what I want to focus on today. Notice what Jesus says. He says, blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. Isn't he talking to us? Right? There's the original disciples, and many of them get to witness with their own two eyes They get to be in the same room with Jesus. But there are many, including us, who don't get that same privilege. We think of it as a privilege. But Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The word for blessed is makarios, which is the same word that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the meek, right? Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? It can also be translated as happy. So I want to, you know, kind of like take that and change out the word, right? And see if it hits different. Have you believed because you have seen me? Happy are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Maybe some of you are like, okay, that does hit different, (laughs) right? Like, really, you're saying that we should be happy if we haven't seen? but still believe? Happy are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Why does Jesus say that? Friends, I have to say that I think in many ways, Jesus is acknowledging something about life and the importance of this kind of faith that you and I have the opportunity to have is that life is always, always going to be uncertain. Many of us, friends, we want, we want so much to have this airtight proof, right? 
But just think about all the situations in life where you will not get that. Right? And the fact that we have to walk through life in this way, right? If we can know for certain, for certain, that God is real, that, that Jesus did rise from the dead, right? We mentioned this the past couple of weeks as we've been talking about the resurrection. You know, in this season of Easter, we said that the resurrection changes everything, right? Because if God truly can bring someone back from the dead, it's a game changer. All of history has been changed. And everything that we see is that it totally changed the church, right? This little following of the disciples would have been stamped out if it were not for the resurrection, right? There's some people who have tried to say like, ah, you know, this idea that Jesus rose from the dead, that was inserted later. It can't be. It can't be. From a very, very early time, these Jewish people, that one of the most sacred beliefs that they have, or one of the most sacred uh, practices, is worshiping on Shabbat, right? Which is Saturday. Shabbat is just Hebrew for Saturday, right? And that is like, you keep the Sabbath holy, right? Don't work on the Sabbath. It is one of the most sacred things. But these Jewish people, that from a very, very early time, after the resurrection, they changed the day that they worship from Saturday to Sunday, There can be only one reason, because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. They're like, this is a game changer. See, we have to change the way we worship, right? We have to change our calendar based on this fact. The whole world has changed based on this fact, right? And friends, uh, for many of us to get to this place where we can believe this, We can be happy. We can be blessed if we can know this for sure. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Right? We have been talking this whole year about life, right? And life, it's not just surviving, friends, but it's also the quality of your life, right? On a very basic level, human beings are just about survival, right? It's the most basic instincts that we have, right? Do we have enough food? Do we have enough to drink, right? Can we reproduce? You know, are we safe from predators, from enemies, and all these kinds of things? And on that level, it's very important that we are able to exist. But for many of us, we cannot get past that level, Right? And in this world that we live in, it just feels so uncertain. It just feels dangerous. This is why uncertainty is so hard for us. Because on, on some level, we have developed as human beings that, you know, let's say you're, you're a human being on the African plains and you see a rock. Maybe that rock is just a rock, but maybe it's a lion just kind of like turning around. It's just kind of rounded, it just kind of looks like a rock, right? I mean, you don't know. You don't know. If it's a lion, you're dead. <laughs> 99 times it's a rock. But that one time when it's a lion, you're dead. And so we start to fear the uncertainty. We fear every rock, right? And we live life in that way, in a world of uncertainty, in a world where any wrong move, your life is over. You're extinguished. You no longer exist. But if, if, friends, there is a God 
who is real, who created the heavens and the earth. And he loved you enough that he sent his son to die for you on the cross. Not only that, but that same son, as as the first of a new kind of human, was raised from the dead. And we were told that we also will raise from the dead. That not even death itself will extinguish this new life that we have in Christ. If that is all true, we can have a completely different kind of life. Right? This is what we call life in the kingdom of God. The idea that God is king, God is in control, and as I've said many times before, but I love this. I love that Dallas Willard says that in the kingdom of God, the world is a completely safe place for us to be. The universe is a completely safe place for us to be. And he doesn't mean that no harm is going to come to you in terms of like, you know, you're not going to bleed or you're not going to die, at least a physical death, right? But the idea that even physical death cannot touch the fact that God has a grip on your life, even beyond this one. You don't need to be afraid anymore. And you've seen that. Christians have, uh, throughout the ages, I mean, maybe not so much anymore, but Christians throughout the ages have had a different kind of life because they weren't afraid, right? Because they knew for certain that God was real, and they lived in light of that. You see that in the disciples, Right? The disciples, they started scared because they're like, oh my gosh, the Roman authorities, they killed Jesus. What are they going to do to us? But once they see the risen Christ and Jesus commissions them to go out into the world and to spread the good news that he is risen, their whole lives change. They don't live being scared anymore. Do you notice what Jesus does uh, with the disciples when they're behind closed doors? Right? He appears to them. He's like, hey, it's me. Right? And then he breathes on them. <sighs> he breathes on them his Holy Spirit. Right? Which is this assurance. The presence of this risen Christ is with them. Right? And friends, maybe you and I do not get to see Jesus with our own eyes. We don't get to feel the scar marks. But what we are given is his spirit. It is something you can encounter, right? It's not just the Christians who first witnessed Jesus being resurrected in the flesh who have lived these different kinds of lives where they're in the kingdom of God and they're not afraid and they're able to live to actually love people, right? I mean, that's what we've been talking about, that the spirit of this world that many of us exist in from this very kind of like primitive standpoint, it's just the spirit of fear, right? And all of us, we live in that to some extent, right? Just the fear of like, are we going to live? Are we going to survive, right? Are we going to have enough? Are we safe? But if we only live in that place, we are not going to elevate to the higher spirit, which is the spirit of love, right? Where we go out and we're like, yeah, you know, it's a risk, for me to go out there and interact with other people, for me to extend myself to other people, it's always a risk, right? But for many, many Christ followers throughout the ages, they were able to get there because they had the spirit of the living Christ. They knew that there was this God who loves them and is with them 
all the time. And they're able to feel this and to live in this power. It was really power for them, right? And because of that, friends, they knew, they knew, they knew that God was real, that Jesus was resurrected. I want to read for you Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. And this is where it talks about faith. And it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You'll see there that there's this idea of assurance. You know. You know that you know, right? You know in your bones, right? You're able to fully trust something. In many ways, friends, we have made the mistake of thinking that faith is a flimsy thing. That's just this kind of intellectual thing. You're like, yeah, yeah, I believe in God, but I'm still not sure, right? Not in the terms that's talking about Hebrews 11. It's saying that faith is assurance, right? Faith is being able to trust something. Right? Faith isn't like, you know, intellectually saying, I believe that this ground is firm. This is faith. You step out and you know that it's firm. Right? You actually are able to live it. You know? And so faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Not things that have passed, but things that are still coming. Right? The conviction of things not seen. It's very clear there that faith must exist in a place where you will not have concrete proof. You're not always going to know before you take that step. You're not always going to know 100%. That's not how life works. None of us will ever fully live if we have to wait until everything is absolutely sure. But the thing that they were standing on was the reality of this loving God. It says, for by, it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It's one of the facts of the universe, right? You might have heard me talk about this before, that there was a time where people just believed that, you know, universe always persisted. But actually, scientists are like, no, no, wait. The universe is actually expanding. The universe had a beginning. There is this great paradox of this idea that, you know, matter can't be created out of nothing. And yet, there was a time where the universe wasn't. Not a time that we can really measure, but it had a beginning. There is a God, friends, that existed before any of this existed, created everything, right? And friends, being able to know this, have the assurance of this, this is what comes by the Holy Spirit. I just want to encourage you, friends. Maybe some of this, it sounds good, but you're like, Pastor Steve, I'm still not convinced. You know, I I, I just want to tell you, friends, uh, just a couple things. Number one, don't worry. (laughs) Don't worry. Um... Number two, it might take time. But for a lot of us, we are like Thomas, where we're like, you know, if I can't have that certainty, then I'm never going to step out in faith, right? Mm -mm. It's just, just too scary. It's too uncertain. Friends, I think this is part of the appeal of atheism, to be honest, right? Because actually, most people who don't believe in God are probably agnostics, just people who don't have faith, right? And I think there are some very, very sincere agnostics who are just like, you know what? I just don't know. I don't know yet. And I think that's something that actually God can work with, a place where you're, you're saying like, 
hey, you know what? I don't know yet, but I'm holding out, right? I'm hopeful that maybe there is something there, you know? Or at least just the, the honesty to say, like, well, there's no way for me to prove that there isn't a God, right? But I think for many of us, it, it might be very appealing to say, mm, that's just too, oh, man, that just makes me so anxious to not know. So you know what? I'm just going to say and settle for me, there is no God. Just full stop, right? There is no God. There's no possibility of God. Everything that was ever created was just random stuff. Friends, can I just encourage you, even if you're not in a place where you fully believe the things that we're saying, can we at least, at least, just stay open, right? I have to say that it's something so worthwhile Right? The idea that there is actually a God who exists, who raised Jesus from the dead. And that is something that you and I can also participate in. That we also will be able to live forever with God. I, maybe some people are like, yeah, but Pastor Steve, it just seems like such a pipe dream. It wasn't to these people. Right? I mean, what disciple would give their life for a lie? Like, literally, be tortured. (laughs) Literally, give up their life because they had seen and witnessed this. And so many people who have witnessed Christ, maybe not with their own eyes, but with the eyes of faith, with knowing through the Holy Spirit this assurance that can come into us, this peace of knowing that God is with you, that you're not alone. There's so many people who have lived on that assurance. I'm still somewhere in the journey of faith, and and I think we all are. But I have to say that as I continue to live my life, and as I continue to have these moments where the Spirit assures me of its presence, of the reality of God, I have to say, friends, that it's, it's the best possible gift, knowing that you are cosmically forever not alone, right? There is something greater and bigger. That's worth holding out for. That's worth being open to. Uh, I know normally we just go straight into communion on communion Sundays, but I just want to take a moment. And and maybe, friends, um, if you feel comfortable, you can close your eyes. If, If you don't, you can just keep them open. But maybe just take a moment to just be still. I I like to, you know, messages like this, I mean, you know, my words are fine and good, but I think arguments and, you know, good words and, you know, stories and things like that don't really change anyone's lives the way that the Holy Spirit does. And friends, maybe if some of you are in a place where you've been holding out and you've been waiting for that magic moment where you have irrefutable concrete proof, can we be open to the possibility that all the proof we need, the real evidence, the real assurance can come through the Holy Spirit? And can we just take a moment to be open to that? It's, <laughs> you know, they, they call it the atheist prayer. You know, God, if there is a God, save my soul if I have a soul. <laughs> And, you know, it's actually a very powerful prayer if we can be open to the possibility, right? So let's just take a moment 
and just be still. Precious God, I'm so grateful that um, you are so patient with us and that you wish peace to the Thomases of the world and to all of us, God, who at one time and probably still continue to have some doubts, continue to stumble through this uncertain life, trying to do the best that we can. But so often, God, it's so tempting to cling to certainties that don't exist. But God, you want to give us a different kind of certainty. Your Holy Spirit that can convict us and change us from the inside out. That can witness to the truth that you are real. And that you really did raise Jesus from the dead. And that you really will do the same with us. God, I pray that you will continually give us that conviction. For those who already believe it that we may have stronger faith to those who are still on the pathway, God, on the, somewhere on the journey, wherever we may be, God, that we may remain open, Lord, and in time, Lord, that you will speak to us. And in time, your Holy Spirit will find its home in our very hearts, in our very soul. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and began the sequence of events, that led to Jesus going to the cross and dying for all of us. He shared uh, one last meal with his friends. And, uh, you know, in many ways, his friends were people that, you know, like Thomas, um, had doubts. Like Peter, made mistakes and failed. And yet Jesus extended this fellowship to them. And he broke the bread, saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat, all of you. And in a similar way that he, uh, at one point in the meal, that he shared the cup with them, the cup of the new covenant, his blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. And friends, just throughout uh, the ages, and we have been told uh, very early on to remember all that Christ did for us, and to do these things in remembrance of him. And so we're going to take a moment to do that. Um, And we'll explain how this goes and uh, exactly how we're going to do communion. But I just want to take a moment to pray over these elements, that they can become to us symbolically the body and blood of Christ. You know, maybe we don't get to uh, touch his hands and, you know, feel those marks. But in many ways, we get to embody what Christ has done for us. And, you know, this idea that this is his body, this is his blood, that it's not just an intellectual thing, but we take it into us and it becomes a part of us. That, that's our hope. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this bread and cup, these gifts that you give to us, that we can experience, Lord, all that you did for us on the cross and the beauty of your love that you are pouring out and that you get to be a part of us, Lord. We desire that, and we want to come into union with you, communion, to become one with you, God. We thank you so much for these gifts. And as we take them, Lord, we pray that our faith will be increased. God, we pray that we will uh, be able to receive some measure of your grace in this. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.